Hello, thank you for coming here to watch this message today. We're glad that you're here and you're part of our church. We want to make sure you are uh, aware of all the things that are happening here. And so I want to invite you to just check out our website, go to the events page. There's so much happening and also make sure to subscribe so you get notified when new messages are up. So here's Pastor Alan with the message for today. Enjoy. Hello, Christ community. So glad that you're here. And those who are going to be watching this and are watching this online, welcome to all of you. This past week was our annual um, church-wide fast. So thanks to those of you who, who participated in that kind of three-day opportunity to seek God afresh. And then it culminated with an amazing prayer and worship night. Uh, wow, so many cool things happened. Opportunities to pray for people just to receive more of the, the presence and spirit of God. And then at the end, we got in a big circle, about 100 and I don't know how many, 140 of us in this room and saying he is worthy. It was just, it was incredible. Um, so that was so fun. Um, and we really, as a church, we just want to um, intentionally kind of press into prayer um, this year. And there are a couple of specific opportunities that I just wanted to mention real quick. One is a growing in prayer seminar that we're having this Wednesday, a free seminar in this room, in the sanctuary at 6.30 this Wednesday. Um, and Harmony Brown is going to be teaching that seminar. Harmony is a friend of mine, friend of our church. Her and her husband, Greg, started the School of Ministry at Res. Uh, a number of years ago. So she has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the whole area of prayer. So I just encourage you to come out 6.30 to 8 this Wednesday, learn about, about prayer, no registration required. And then in addition to that, on January 31st, so the last Tuesday of every month, we are launching now in January, we're launching a prayer and worship night that's gonna be in the community room. Um, at seven to 8.15, I think is what we've set that up as. More information in the newsletter, but, but the heartbeat of that is to gather and to learn to listen to God's spirit and let him lead us in worship and then what is on his heart to pray into. I'm super excited about both of those opportunities and that's gonna be a monthly thing, the last Tuesday of every month. So I encourage you to jump in to either one of those or both of those. And let's, let's grow together in this amazing thing called, called prayer. Okay, today we are continuing our journey through the book of John and we find ourselves in John chapter 16, which contains some of Jesus' final words to his disciples before he's crucified. And in, in the section that we're looking at today, Jesus acknowledges something that we all know, but it feels really good to hear him say it. Life is hard, all right? Life is hard. The longer I live, the more aware I am of the fact that life is just hard. There are relational challenges. There are job challenges. There are financial challenges and health challenges and emotional challenges, not to mention the challenges of just living in a world like ours that is filled with turmoil and strife and change. The other day, Raylene and I went in, Raylene and I went, ran into Walmart to get, to get some groceries and we were ready to check out and realize there are no more plastic bags. I mean, they are gone forever. And look, I, I appreciate the environmental impact benefit, all that, but for a guy like me who, who likes order, that was sort of a traumatic experience. You just have it thrust on me without any prior knowledge. And then all my groceries are just just, you know, sitting sprawled out in the back of my CRV. Okay, what is happening to our world? All right, anyway, no, I realize 
It's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. But that's not, so my point though is that life is just filled with lots of stress and change and turmoil. And Jesus acknowledges that this is the case. So in the final verse of the passage we're looking at today, look at what he says. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. How's that for a promise? In this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say you may have trouble. No, he says you will have trouble. Jesus is like right-sizing expectations here. He is completely blowing up that paradigm that we sort of, we never really say it out loud, but we kind of buy into it. That paradigm that says, man, if you're a really good Christian, everything is gonna go great for you. And if your life is falling apart, you must not be doing something right. You must not be very spiritual. Jesus totally blows up that paradigm and he inserts a totally different one. The presence of turmoil in our lives is not only normal, it can be spiritually beneficial depending on how we respond to it. So in this passage, Jesus is coaching us in terms of how to handle difficulties and challenges and turmoil in our lives. Okay, so let's dive in. John 16, beginning in verse 16, Jesus went on to say, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. And because I'm going to the father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Okay, the disciples already know Jesus is leaving them. He's told them that, they're already stressed about that. But when he says in a little while, their stress goes through the roof. How soon, they're wondering, how soon is this gonna happen? And it's in response to that state of fear and heightened stress and confusion that Jesus then addresses this, right? It's in response to this that he gives them and us three powerful insights into how we are to handle turmoil in our lives, all right? So first, first critical aspect of handling difficulty and turmoil in our lives is to grieve well. You didn't see that coming, did you? All right, you heard me right, grieve well. That's probably the last thing that we expected to hear in a sermon on how to handle difficulties in our lives. So often we immediately jump to things like attitude and positivity and faith and courage and perseverance, all of which are incredibly important, but they miss a crucial aspect of how we as humans are to navigate the turmoil and the transitions in our lives. These disciples are about to experience a monumental transition in their lives. Their leader, their friend, their healer is leaving. See, life is filled with transitions like this. Even though we sometimes long for life to kind of stay the same when things are going well, if it would just, we could just freeze this moment, it doesn't. Maybe we have lots of great friends in high school and then we graduate and our friends scatter to, you know, to various different places. Or, or maybe we get married and then we enter into this world of how to live with another person. And, and once we're sort of maybe figuring that out, we have a baby and, and suddenly we're again trying to navigate having another person demanding all of our time and energy. And when we finally get the hang of parenting, we find ourselves driving our oldest kid to college and dropping her off in a dorm room, leaving this huge hole in our heart and in our home? Or what, what about the transition that occurs with a new job or, a, or with a divorce or, or, or a relational breakup? Or what about the transition that occurs when we retire 
and we suddenly wonder what our purpose is or the transition that occurs as we sit at the funeral of our best friend or the funeral of our, our, uh, a child or our spouse, right? And whose battle with cancer has come to an end. I mean, life is filled with transitions like that, whether we like it or not, it just is. And, and, and they leave us with this huge experience of loss, a huge hole in our heart and our tendency as humans, our tendency, especially as humans living in America, is to do all we can to move on, to, to just stay busy, just stop the pain because we don't want to feel it. I mean, we even have a Christianized version of this, right? Where people will quote scriptures about joy and hope as a way to try and help us quickly move beyond the pain. But that's not where Jesus initially focuses our attention here in this passage. Jesus begins, he actually begins by focusing on grief, on the importance of grieving. Check this out. Verse 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while, you'll see me no more. And then after a little while, you'll see me. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will be turned, will turn to joy. Now is your time of grief. We'll get to the joy part in a bit, but I don't want us to miss what Jesus is saying here about grief. You will grieve, he says. You will weep and mourn. Now is your time of grief. See, Jesus is acknowledging the value and the importance of grieving when we experience loss, when a transition leaves a hole in our heart, rather than trying to quickly move on to avoid feeling the pain, Jesus urges us to feel the pain, to grieve the loss. See, the reality is when we subconsciously or consciously <clears throat> try to avoid or ignore the pain, or to quickly move beyond the sadness we, we feel. When we try to, you know, subconsciously or consciously try to avoid that, here's what happens. It actually diminishes our capacity for true joy because we're closing off our heart. Jesus urges us to grieve well, to feel the loss, to weep, to mourn. It's not, that's not unspiritual. It's incredibly spiritual. One of the huge themes in, in the Bible that we often ignore is, the, is the, this concept of lament. Lament is different than complaint, okay? Lament, to lament is to, complain is just complain. Just kind of self-focused, just gripe, whatever. To lament is to feel the same thing, but it's actually to run to God with our pain. It is to run to God with our complaints and with our grief and just be honest about how we're feeling. Um, it, it's to approach God, this is, look, it's to approach God not as the antidote to immediately fix or remove our pain. It's not what it is. It's not to approach him as the antidote, fix my pain, take it away. That, no, no, to lament is to approach him as the one who is willing to walk with us in our pain. Very different. Those are two very different things. When, when we see God, as the antidote to our pain, we end up with a Christianity of platitudes. Just have faith. God's good all the time. I mean, those statements, while true, can often be used as a way to ignore our own disappointment and pain. 
and they unintentionally make someone who is grieving feel unspiritual for what they feel. Come on, just get over it. Sometimes in the midst of loss, I don't feel like God is good all the time. And that's okay. It is okay for me to feel sadness and grief. It is okay for me to to tell God that I am really disappointed in him. Not only is that okay, it's actually healthy. Not only is it healthy, it is necessary in order for us to grieve well. See, rather than shutting down my heart, I'm actually acknowledging it. And God is big enough to handle all the emotions we feel. But we got to run to him with those emotions, right? Running to him. He wants our heart. See, following, look, following Jesus, no matter what kind of vibe you get from some Christians or whatever, following Jesus is not an invitation to a life of emotionless avoidance. It's not. It, it is not a life of using spiritual language to minimize our pain. No, following Jesus is an invitation into a life in which we learn how to grieve well, how to fully feel the pain of loss and the anger and confusion that are also present, but to do so in the presence of Jesus. To do so in the presence of Jesus, running to him with our tears and our pain and our grief. Now, how how long does this grief last? Well, depends on the extent of the loss. Sometimes a good cry or two after K-State loses or something is is adequate for me. Uh, uh, No, Uh, but but seriously, sometimes a good cry or two is, is, you know, is, is, is adequate when the loss is not monumental. But when the loss is profound, the death of a child, a spouse, a friend, I mean, the grief may lessen over time, but it never really goes away. See, the the, the crucial issue is not the length of our grief. The issue is our willingness to actually experience it rather than avoid it or run from it. A couple of months ago, I came across a powerful piece written by a journalist um, who was describing the emotions he felt on the day that he dropped his 18-year-old son off at college. It was beautiful, beautiful so well-written article, just all these things. But there was one phrase he said that just landed with me. At one point in this piece, he wrote, and so begins the long letting go. That, that phrase struck me as, at, at a visceral level, as, as an accurate description of these transitions we all experience in life. Life is a process of letting go and grieving the letting go. And that's okay. It's good, it's healthy, it's important. But it's not the last word, which leads us to the second critical response in the midst of trouble and turmoil in our lives. And that is to cultivate joy cultivate joy. Jesus uses an analogy here about the relationship between grieving and joy. Look at verse 21. A woman giving birth to a child has pain 
because her time has come. But when the, her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. See, for a woman giving birth, labor is often long and excruciatingly painful and difficult. Having recently watched our son and daughter-in-law go through like a 40 plus hour experience of labor, this is kind of fresh in my mind, only in my mind. I know those of you women have gone through that, you're thinking, yeah, as if he really knows. But anyway, look, I, I'll just say I can't imagine the pain of childbirth, what that's like for those of you as moms who have experienced that. So Jesus uses this analogy to describe not only the reality of pain, but also the truth that that pain is temporary and is soon overshadowed. It's, it's, it's not gone, but it's overshadowed by the joy of holding her baby. Jesus then applies this to the disciple situation, verse 22. So, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Now, this is important here because we got to figure out when is he talking about? What is he talking about timing wise in terms of seeing him and, and them rejoicing? A lot of people just immediately jump to heaven, but that's not, it's not what he's saying here. Remember, in, he, he used this phrase, in a little while, you'll see me. And then, a little, you know, that, that whole, in a little while. He's not talking about the second coming. He's not talking about heaven here. Even though there's, there's a hope there and all that, and that's true, it's just not what he's talking about here. He's talking about the reality that the disciples will experience very soon, within a few days, when after his resurrection, he will appear to his disciples and they will receive into their very being the presence of God's spirit. That's when he's saying, you will see me again. That's what he's talking about. See what Jesus is describing, and this is why this is so important. What Jesus is describing here is a joy that comes not only from just hoping for heaven, it is a joy that comes from a new kind of relationship with him where the very presence of God's spirit lives in them. That's what he's saying. And, and that's life-changing. And not only that, it's joy producing. That's what Jesus focuses on here. The joy that we can experience in this new intimate relationship with him that is made possible by his spirit coming to live in us, his presence with us. So what specifically is impacted? Uh, by this. Well, he begins to tell us, verse 23, in that day, what I'm talking about here, he says, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. He's been walking with them for three years. They've been asking him, hey, what about this? What about this? He's saying, in that day, you'll no longer ask me anything. Why? Well, very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I'm not saying that I will, I will ask the father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and I'm going back to the Father. See, up to that point, if the disciples wanted something, they would just ask Jesus directly. But now Jesus is describing a completely new experience. The disciples can go direct, after Jesus leaves, the disciples are now gonna be able to go directly to the Father with their requests. And they also can experience the Father loving them. Jesus is describing this beautiful union, this dynamic, connected love relationship between us and God the Father. And he makes it very clear that our experience of this union with God is a source of great joy. 
a joy that is not dependent upon our circumstances. See, Jesus describes here a bit of what this union looks like. It's, it's a continual dialogue between us and the Father. Over and over again, he says, ask the Father in my name. In other words, you now have direct access to the Father. You don't have to come talk to me physically about it. You have direct access to the Father. So talk with him. <laughs> Ask him things. Press into his presence. Seek his face. Get to know him. Ask him to move in the situations that you find yourselves in. This is such a huge paradigm for how we typically think about prayer, right? Often the way we functionally approach prayer is like a cosmic vending machine. We have a need. So we come to God and we ask him to give us what we need. And so we put in our dollar bill and it sucks up that dollar bill and we hit the buttons and we hope that what we ask for, what we want comes out. And if so, prayer worked, right? If not, maybe we hit the wrong button. Uh, we didn't put in enough money maybe or something, whatever. It, it, it's, that's a symbolic analogy there, but it's very transactional. For many people, prayer is very transactional. I do this in order to get that. Now, at some level, this is where we begin in prayer. This is, this is like prayer 101. We go to God and we ask him for things. And, and, and there's a significantly different response. That's a significantly different response than we had before we knew Christ. When we were in trouble, we didn't go to God. We went you know, to try to figure it out ourselves or whatever. So this is a new thing. It's really cool. Entering into a relationship with Jesus, it ushers us into this new experience of prayer, of just asking God for things, which is great. It's foundational, it's important. But listen, it is not a full description of what prayer can be. God doesn't want us staying in this place where prayer is simply a vending machine experience with him. No, in John 15 and 16, throughout these chapters, we've been talking about it for weeks, Jesus is clearly inviting us into an experience of prayer that's not simply transactional, but relational. It's an experience of prayer that, that reflects a dynamic, loving, continual union with God where we're hanging out with him like hanging out with a friend over a cup of coffee and we're sharing our hearts and we're listening to his voice. See, what about this radical idea? Rather than assuming we know what to pray for, what if we ask him? Jesus, how do you want me to pray for my marriage? I know what I want to pray for, but how, how do you want me to pray for my marriage? How do you want me to pray for this situation at work? What do you want to say to me about how I'm perceiving this or what I'm thinking? How do you, what do you want to say to me about that? That's a totally different experience of prayer. See, this is what it means to pray in Jesus' name. It's, it's not to tack on the words in Jesus' name at the end of the prayer. Okay, now it's good because you said those three words. No, it, it is to pray out of this place of union with Jesus where we sense his heart and we pray into those things. So prayer becomes this continual, interactive, conversational, connected relationship between us and God the Father. And that relationship, that relationship brings us joy. That kind of access and his presence in us, it just brings us joy. It brings us a joy that is full and complete because it's not dependent upon what's happening around us. It's not depending, uh, dependent upon the news or whatever. It's not. It's rooted in this experiential knowledge that God is with us in an intimate way, no matter what. His presence can invade whatever circumstances we're in. I love that. I stole it from a worship song we do. That's so good. His presence can invade whatever circumstance we're in. And here's what's so cool. Jesus gives us an example of how he's living this out. Okay, look at verse 31. The disciples have just told Jesus, hey, I think we get it. 
finally, you know, you're about to be crucified. I think we now believe. Okay. Uh, and then look at what he says. <clears throat> Do you now believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I'm not alone for my father is with me. Jesus is describing something pretty traumatic that's going to happen to him within a few hours of this conversation. Judas is going to betray him. Soldiers are going to arrest Jesus and his disciples, his friends, are going to run away and leave him all alone. They're going to abandon him when he needed them the most, right? In this point of need, they're going to abandon him. I talk about experiencing turmoil, but notice again what he says. He's like, yeah, this is going to happen. Verse 32, you will leave me all alone, but I'm not alone for my father is with me. His friends are going to disappoint him. He will experience the emotions of that, but he will also experience the Father's presence with him. See, it, it is the, it's in this union with the Father. This is really important. It's in this union with the Father that grief and joy get intermingled in a, in a, in a very real way. We can feel, and we need, we need to, it's important, we f- can feel the grief of loss, And we can also experience the joy of the Father's presence with us in that place. What we're talking about here is is, um, accurately described in a a word um, author John Eldridge uh, has recently written a book about. He uses the word resilience. And look, when, when we cultivate this continual conversational union with Jesus, here's what happens. Our soul grows in its resilience. And we need resilience. In a culture like ours, you know, we need resilience. That's what, ha- that's what happens. It grows in its resilience. It grows in its ability to navigate sorrow and disappointment and difficulty with all of that with a deep sense of joy in Jesus. Eldridge talks about the importance of intentionally cultivating this union with God in our lives. And his ministry has put together an app. I don't get paid for this endorsement or anything, but I want to mention it. Um, I don't even know the guy. Uh, I wish I did. But anyway, his his ministry has put together an app that that I found really helpful. It's called the, the One Minute Pause. And on this app, this free app, they put together a 30-day path to resilience. And so each day has a morning and an evening, like an eight to 10-minute experience of guided prayer and silence in order to cultivate a deeper union with God. I just encourage, I just mention that, I just encourage you, if you're looking for resources to help cultivate, this might be something you want to check out. One-minute app. It's pretty powerful. Okay, a third critical response that's very much connected to the other two is responses to turmoil is to receive God's peace. Look again at verse 33. I've told you these things. Here's why I'm telling you these things. I've told you these things so that in me, you may have peace. In this world, here's that promise we mentioned earlier. In this world, you will have trouble. No one is exempt. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying that in the midst of all the inevitable trouble and turmoil in our world and in our lives, he, Jesus, uniquely offers us peace. And then he tells us how this peace is found. This peace is found in knowing that whatever the world throws at us, Jesus has overcome the world. In his death on the cross, Jesus has overcome our fear. 
our rejection, our shame, through the power of his love. And then in his resurrection, Jesus has overcome even death itself, right? The, giving us hope beyond the grave. I love the question Paul asked in 1 Corinthians 15. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where is it? Yeah, it looks like you're winning, but actually you're not. Where is your victory? Where is your sting? Death, again, it looks like it's winning, but it's, 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 it's going to lose in the end. Jesus wins in the end. He is our ultimate hope. He has overcome the world and everything that this world could ever throw at us. See, knowing that reality can fill our hearts with his peace. With his peace, he's overcome the world. Okay, so in this passage, Jesus is describing a way of living this is a way of living that enables us to handle turmoil and hardships and difficulties. It, and look, it is not a fake it till you make it approach. That plastic Christianity, oh, just put on a smile and quote some Bible verses and everything's great. It is not that. It is a way of living that, 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 that embraces our humanity through grieving well, which opens a door for us to cultivate genuine joy in our union with the Father resulting in a peace that surpasses our understanding. I mean, this is really is a, an invitation to fullness of life. One of my favorite holiday movies is the movie Scrooge, um, not Bill Murray, Scrooge, no, no D on the end. Scrooge, which is this award-winning musical adaptation of The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. <clears throat> Our family watches it every Christmas Eve evening. I've seen it probably 35 times, and yet it always inspires me. The music is awesome, but in, in it, you probably know the story, but if not, in it, we see this, this miserly, miserable, grumpy, old, very wealthy, but old man who has closed off his heart to any emotion. He's alive, but he's not experiencing life. And then when he goes to bed on Christmas Eve, he encounters three spirits. The first is the spirit of Christmas past, which reminds him of things that he's lost. And in the movie version that we watch, Scrooge begins to grieve. He begins to tear up. He begins to grieve these things as he sees them in his past. He is saddened by the things he's lost. When the second spirit, the spirit of Christmas present visits Scrooge, he begins to see, I like life, right? This joy that he's missing out on in, in life and all of that. And then the spirit of Christmas future brings this sobering reminder of the hopelessness of the pathway he's on. So all of that culminates in a new experience of life that Scrooge chooses to embrace when he wakes up and he realizes he has a second chance. He's suddenly kind and generous. He is attentive and joyful. He is experiencing life as God designed for him to experience. Not a superficial happiness, but a deep sense of peace and joy that flow from his grief, as well as his realization of what life is ultimately about. I think the reason I watch that movie 35 and I'll keep doing it every Christmas, I, I want to live that way. I want to live more and more that way. I think this is, this is what Jesus is describing in this passage. Life is hard. Life is hard. We will experience trouble and hardship and the pain of loss and transitions. The question is, are we willing to keep our hearts open to feel the weight of our grief, to cultivate a joy-filled union with the God who loves us 
and to rest in the peace that he gives, knowing that he has overcome the world. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your honest words. Thank you for your promise to us and your invitation to, for us to experience life even in the midst of turmoil and transition and difficulty. Thank you that we can take heart because you have overcome the world. So let's quiet our heart for a moment. I encourage you just to close your eyes, just quiet your heart. And let's let Jesus speak into our reality. So first, let's just ask him, just encourage you in the quiet of your heart, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, are there any areas of loss in my life that I haven't allowed myself to grieve? To feel sad? And what would it look like to let yourself feel that loss, not to spiritualize it or to ignore it, but to simply feel it in Jesus' presence. Feel it in his presence. If the Lord's brought something to mind, I want to encourage you. We don't have time here, obviously, but I want to encourage you to carve out some time to lament, to feel in his presence. So what about this area of joy? How is your union with Jesus? Is, as I was talking about the time, was something being stirred in your heart of just, yeah, I want that conversational, connected, continual union with him. And if that's stirring in your heart, is maybe is there a specific step Jesus is inviting you to take to move towards that? Jesus, we long for that. We want to grow in this union with you, that you are with us. Even if our friends abandon us, even if things happen, you are with us. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Lord. So Jesus, we pray for peace that comes from knowing that you're with us and you've overcome the world. And you know, while we're just in this attitude of prayer, there may be some of you here and maybe you've never opened your heart to Jesus. He wants to come live in you through the presence of his spirit, but he's not gonna force his way in. All you gotta do is open your heart. It doesn't, it's not about, oh, I've failed too much. I'm, my life's a mess. No, he, he does his best work in those situations, trust me. It's about opening your heart and saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to forgive my sin. I need you to come live in me, to love me in those places where I feel unlovable. Would you come? Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me and I place my trust in you and I open my heart to you. Just do that right now. He sees you, he loves you. He can restore things that are broken. Thank you, Lord. 
So we're going to continue in just an attitude of prayer. Maybe God is stirring up a sense of some, some loss that he wants you just to kind of move towards in our time of prayer and worship here. There is room in this room. You can remain seated. You can stand. There's room up front if you want to come kneel. There are prayer, there, our prayer team is going to be available here during this worship time. And you can go back to one of the prayer stations if you just want someone to pray over you and to pray for you, that they're available. So this is just space for the Lord to move right now. So Jesus, we welcome you through the presence of your spirit. Set us free to worship and, and just to experience our emotions in your presence, Lord, and to experience you in this place. We love you, God. Thank you, Lord. So if something from today's sermon um, inspired you or challenged you or convicted you or, I don't know, or it didn't do anything, but you have a desire to talk to somebody about the things that you are going through or thinking or feeling, uh, there's a chat box on our site page, and there's someone on the other side of that who is excited to hear the things that are going on.